back tomorrow. Taking all that I can stand. Throw the weight of the world from the palm of your hand. Gather round the fire, together we will rise. Keep your feet on the ground, keep your eye on the prize. Oh. Good morning and welcome to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 11:50 a.m. KKNW in Seattle. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington, which is a nonprofit organization advocating for scientific integrity in public health policies, healthy immunity, and informed consent. Today we have a very special guest, Zach Bush, MD, and he's joining us via Zoom from Hawaii. What a great place to shelter in place. Uh, he is such a treasure trove of information. I'm going to keep my intro here very short so we can have as much time as possible with him. So let me first tell you just a little bit about him. Uh, Zach Bush, MD, is a renowned multidisciplinary physician of internal medicine, endocrinology, hospice care, and he's an internationally recognized educator on the microbiome as it relates to human health, soil health, food systems, and a regenerative future. And I just I love that description of him. If you want more information, and you're going to want more information, you can go to www.zachbushmd.com. So welcome to Lift Your Spirits Radio, Dr. Zach. Thanks for having me on, Bernadette. So glad to be with you and the audience. Oh, we're just thrilled to have you here today. I, I really feel like we're in what I'm calling COVID chaos, exactly for the reason why I adore you, because the whole world has been sort of captured by the pharmaceutical approach to wellness, which just attacks symptoms, and we see that fails us. We need individual health to be resilient, individual health to, to thrive. And so there's a lot of things we're empowered to change. Um, you didn't always, your career wasn't always in this, uh, this path. You began down a sort of more traditional uh, approach. But at some point you had an aha moment that led you to abandon your very successful career uh, that you were focused on disease and you turned toward health. Can you talk about that moment? Yeah, my background at that point, um, that beginning was 17 years of beginning, so 17 years in academic medicine and had gotten to uh, participate in a lot of very fascinating research and clinical care across many different uh, spectrums. My first big area of interest in biomedical research was in the, the brain and the endocrine systems uh, control of the brain. So in the late 1990s, I got involved with Philip Gold at the NIH and was excited to be really exploring a new field at that time, which was neuroplasticity, which was the realization and understanding that the brain, even in the adult state, is very plastic, always able to change and transform, whereas, you know, up until that moment, uh, for as long as medicine had seen it, we believed that the brain was wired at birth and then you just decay over time. So the new science of the, of the late 1990s was very exciting, understanding the endocrine system and ultimately your environment was somehow reprogramming it and rewiring the network of your central nervous system all the time. And so that was a very exciting moment in science. And then that moved into uh, my field of endocrinology. I studied after internal medicine, uh, studied endocrinology and, and as a focus. And during that time, there was uh, a realization in the mid-2000s that uh, we were in the midst of a cancer epidemic, which didn't make any sense with our you know, dogmatic approach to understanding of cancer, which we thought was a genetic predisposition to this condition and ultimately a genetic injury leading to cancer um, to find out that it was going epidemic, meaning logarithmic within one 
generation that we were wrong about the model of it. And just like the brain, we were finding out that cancer was a very plastic situation, that the cells were changing all the time and responding to the environment all the time, and we can become vulnerable or less vulnerable to cancer moment by moment, depending on what, what our environment is. And the big piece of that environment is the nutrition and the gut microbiome. And so that was all starting to come of age in the mid-2000s, but I was still very much in the pharmaceutical-minded state, believing that I could find uh, you know, a, a nutrient that would kill cancer. And so I was in this you know, chemotherapy kind of minded research, and so I was developing vitamin A compounds to kill tumors. And in that journey, I, I you know, made some breakthroughs on the molecular level and had some you know, publications and got some international recognition from the other six people who cared about my area of, of research <laughs> around the world. And, you know, that there was like this, you know, a little bit of excitement of like, maybe I've had this breakthrough. And then that aha moment came that there was nothing I could do with my compound or any chemotherapy I ever developed to actually change that trajectory of the epidemic of cancer we were in, because none of the cancers I was treating were happening because of a lack of chemotherapy. And then you back up, you realize there's not a single cancer in history that happened because of a lack of chemotherapy. It's a, it was just this paradigm-shifting moment of, I'm going down the wrong path. I, I cannot find a solution because I've been handed the wrong, the wrong understanding or the wrong chessboard to keep moving my pieces around on. And so that's when I started really looking deeply into nutrition. And as soon as I started feeding my cancer cells more effectively, you know, healthy nutrition in the sense that in a petri dish, to keep cancer cells alive, you actually want them in a stress state. If you if you give them too much food, they they actually, you know, stop behaving like cancer and and die and all this. And so it was like, wait a second, if if good nutrition is killing these things more effectively than my chemo, maybe that's a pathway. And so I started learning nutrition for the first time after 17 years of being in academic medicine, and. It was shocking how much science was out there uh, that could have informed me differently over that course of my, my career. And so in that journey, I, I decided to take a hard left turn and in 2010 left academia to start a nutrition center. And I knew I wanted to start a plant-based diet kind of teaching environment and really study that because that's where the bulk of the 40 years of science around reversing not just cancer, but everything from emphysema to heart disease to cancer to autoimmune diseases have been well studied in the power of a plant-based diet. And so I knew I didn't want to go to Santa Barbara and, and teach healthy, you know, rich Americans how to eat healthy. I wanted to actually see if I could find a tool that would work for the masses. And so I went to a food desert in uh, rural Virginia and set up a little clinic in a town of 550 people there. I was the only doctor in town and um, opened the clinic thinking I was going to be like this endocrinologist, nutritionist who was going to reverse chronic disease. And of course, being the only doctor there, I was suddenly a primary care doctor for the first time in my career. And I was seeing absolutely everything walk in from farming accidents and suturing people up for the first time in years to, to you know, heart attacks happening in the place. Like it was just chaos in this little plumbing building that I had renovated with my son into this clinic. And um, it was so exhilarating and so full of joy in addition to being the most stressful and fighting thing I'd ever done. And so I was learning so much from my patients. They were teaching me so much moment to moment because we were fully engaged. And I hadn't realized how isolated I had become as a academic medicine doctor in the tertiary care University of Virginia, fancy pseudo Ivy League kind of experience. I didn't realize how isolated I had become from the true experience of being a physician and the true experience of watching people heal. I mean, you're, you're so isolated away from it by pagers and 
multiple med students and residents and everybody else between you and the patient, that it's very hard to, to see the forest for the trees when you're in academic medicine. And so this rural community really embraced me and I loved them back. And together, I think we really created what's now my career, which is understanding that health comes from a reconnection to nature, not a separation from it. I do see a lot of silver linings right now with people having an awareness. They're looking around the world. They're seeing all sorts of problems. They're seeing that the most susceptible to infection are those who are in the poorest of health and they're wanting to be empowered. So we're gonna move um, to a break. When we get back, what I would love for you to do is tell people how you discovered, I believe it was a particular molecule. Somebody sent you something and you looked at that information and, and you're like, wow. I can't believe what I'm seeing. So uh, we're going to take a break. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington with guest Dr. Zach Bush. And you're listening to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Go back to sleep. Is secret. I promise to keep. Don't go back to sleep. Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington State. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best healthcare decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Feeling the need to get away and reconnect with Mother Nature? Located on Whitby Island, Earth Sanctuary is a peaceful and magical sculpture garden, nature reserve, and retreat center with two miles of nature trails, three bird-filled ponds, and a variety of powerful sacred spaces, including a labyrinth, stone circles, and medicine wheels. Come and enjoy the wonders of nature and experience personal renewal, spiritual growth, and healing today. Visit earthsanctuary.org or the Earth Sanctuary on Facebook for more information. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. Find your place in the world. Throw your dreams into the sky. Be my beloved and I'll be your most high. Welcome back to Lift Your Spirits on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington, your host today. And with me is... Dr. Zach Bush. We're talking about the microbiome today and how important it is to your health. And I want uh, Dr. Zach now to talk to us about this particular product that he discovered. Um, it, it first came out under the name Restore, which is how I fell in love with it. And now it's called Ion Biome. Um, I got to learn how to say that fast, but I've been given per permission just to call it Ion. Um, so tell, tell listeners about how all that came about. 
Yeah, so uh, in the first couple of years of my nutrition clinic, you know, I was seeing so many exciting things. And again, you know, the, my patients were had become my best teachers at this point. And um, despite, you know, this growing trust and, and confidence I had in, in learning from my patients, um, I was defaulting to what is what I now see as a very common, subtle, subconscious teaching that we receive in medical school, which is our patients are not intelligent and our patients are never being compliant. And so uh, what was happening is that when I put them on these intensive nutrition programs, a third of them would just respond instantly. Diabetes would dissolve, blood sugar would normalize, blood pressure would normalize, cholesterol would go to, to you know, levels so low that we didn't know it was possible to get there. And so it was just like miracles. And then there was a third that would slightly get better, and it was a long haul, and they'd go up and down and usual kind of chaos. But then there was a third that were actually getting more inflamed uh, as soon as they started my program. And uh, for that third, I was in that defensive state of being like, well, you know, this is an uneducated group, and, you know, they uh, aren't, you know, doing what I'm doing, and maybe they have, you know, their socioeconomic status is keeping them from eating real food, and they're just eating Twinkies and hot dogs still, and, you know, that's probably why they're but after a couple of years of working with those families, I was starting to have to come to terms with the fact that they were eating healthier than I was, and you know, they were really doing everything they possibly could to do the right thing here, including growing their own food and, and doing things that I thought was you know enough. And yet they were continuing to have you know really marked inflammation and really marked progression of disease. And it was that third that started us into asking deeper questions about the nutrition itself and starting to realize, I wonder if kale is not always kale. Like, is it possible that there can be a deficiency of the medicinal quality in these foods, or is it possible that there's something uh, that's actually causing inflammation in these bodies? And so that pushed us into, into plant science deeper than I'd ever gone. And it was very quick that I found tons of articles on the, the loss of alkaloids, which are the medicine qualities in our foods uh, from the 1970s to current day. So we had done something to, to severely disrupt uh, the medicinal quality of our food, and that drove us into the soil. And so it was in the soil uh, questions of like what's going on that these plants can't find the medicine or can't create the medicine within them. And one of my colleagues in the clinic, William Vitalis, uh, a brilliant guy who's um, our, our director of esoteric sciences for all my companies still, um, no uh, medical training um, uh, formally, but he uh, had been working in health and healing centers for you know 25 years, way more experience than I had had in, in the realm of health and nutrition. And so he brought in this 90-page white paper on soil science, which I was blown away that anybody knew enough about dirt to write a 90-page soil science paper. <laughs> um, and so I was paging through this quickly. I had patients waiting for me, and I was, you know, standing in the sunny, uh, you know, midsummer scene in our in our waiting room with him, and he was chatting away, and I was flipping pages, flipping pages, and then on page 40 of this thing, is this huge carbon molecule. And uh, it looked on the right-hand side of this molecular structure to look like the chemotherapy I used to develop. And that was that second aha moment of how, is, how did nature know how to do this and where is this molecule coming from? And so in the coming weeks, we really sorted out the bacteria and fungi were making millions of variants of this molecule in the soil. And that suddenly closed the loop on some big questions that were hanging out in the science world, which was how did the bacteria in the gut predict the outcomes of cancer in the human uh, the, those correlations have been made by UCSF and UCSD and lots of other universities around the world uh, by looking at genetics of the microbiome in the gut to find out, whoa, there's a really predictable pattern in breast cancer patients. There's a predictable pattern in colon cancer patients. And, and so we're seeing these very predictable correlations, but nobody could figure out the causation because at this point we didn't understand how bacteria could be involved in something as complex as genetic injury that would be cancer. 
And so in seeing this molecule, I suddenly realized if each bacterial species is making a different variation of this, and it clearly has medicinal capacity on that right-hand side in a very unique form. The medicinal I was seeing was not like the alkaloids and the kale and everything else. This was something called redox chemistry. Redox chemistry is the way in which cells communicate, and cancer is ultimately the long-term version of a disconnect of communication. A cancer cell is the loneliest, most disconnected cell in the body. It forget in that loneliness forgets it's part of a larger organism. It's so damaged that its only option for survival is proliferation. So it just starts to to copy itself, and that's what we call a tumor, and that's what we call cancer. And so the realization that bacteria and fungi could actually potentially create a communication network that would tie tie human cells together kind of closed this mental loop in my thing, and it brought these two disparate worlds of microbiome and cancer genomics into one one potential space. And so um, we st started working with colleagues down in uh, the southwest United States to figure out how to get these carbon molecules out of fossil soil. And we wanted fossil soil because the, the current soils were so damaged from modern agriculture that we were lacking microbiome diversity. Uh, we see the same thing in the American gut. So the American gut project is one of the largest microbiome studies ongoing for the last 15 years. And uh, it's showing the same phenomenon, like just like the soils of modern agriculture, the human gut is now you know, around 10% of our original microbiome. And we're seeing that by studying the microbiome of hunter-gatherer tribes in West Africa today. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing in these hunter-gatherers that they have this biodiversity that just boggles the mind. One of the dominant species in, in uh, the Hatsa tribe there in, in Tanzania is actually bacteria that we haven't been able to find anywhere in nature other than the hides of zebra. And yet it's a dominant species in their gut flora. And so uh, they're, they are so connected to this greater nature around them. And uh, in contrast, our soils in our gut, which is our, our organic soil in which we grow, uh, both have become very, very simplified. And so we start going after these fossil soils, understanding that before the big extinction event 55 million years ago, we actually had soil that's never been reached again. We had these 20, 30 foot deep uh, topsoil layers back then, and we had ferns that were the size of houses. Like there was just like this extraordinary verdant state of the planet. And so we started extracting these carbon molecules, not really knowing what to expect, and putting them into my old cancer models. And so uh, I started working with one of my colleagues that had helped me in my cancer research at UVA, Dr. John Gilday, brilliant PhD in genomics from Johns Hopkins. And um, I told him, look, I've got this thing. We've extracted these carbon molecules um, from fossil soil and you know I showed him the bottle just a white bottle with my sharpie marker I wrote you know, one tablespoon three times a day for my patients and we were doing some early studies in myself and I was doing it intravenously I was crazy at the time and doing all kinds of weird things but but I was you know knowing that it was doing some profound things physiologically in my body because I was studying my blood work uh, with the, the stuff in my bloodstream and knew it was doing some really cool things so I told him my experience, and he, he said, Zach, I just spent $50,000 in my laboratory to actually get all of the, the microscopic dirt particles out of our water system so it would stop killing our cells, and now you're telling me I should add in dirt water into my cells. And I said, well, it's not really dirt water. Like, it's just the, you know, it's a redox system, carbon molecule, blah, blah. He's like, it looks like dirt water, it's the, which okay. it does. It looks like gold, you know, golden dirt water. And so I... It took about three months uh, before I heard back from him, and what happened is he d developed uh, flu and uh, got a high-grade fever, and in his febrile state, he couldn't get out of bed for the first time in years, and sitting next to his bed was the white paper that I had given him, and so it was the only thing he could read for uh, these few days of being in a fever state, and he read through this thing, and at the end of this, 
he had worked out what's now taking us almost seven years to do and to prove out. But he did all of these experiments in his head, and he came, called me Monday morning so excited. He's like, I think you found the antidote to Roundup. And I was like, what's wrong with Roundup? I had no idea what <laughs> Oh, no. And, and he's like, we've been studying you know, Roundup as, as a carcinogen, and I think this is the way in which this is going to reverse the Roundup injury. I was like, well, that sounds interesting. And so it took us a few months to, to work out the, the right structure of a biologic assay. And he called me one day um, from in my clinic and said, you have to come here right now. Like, you've got to see what's happening under the microscope. So I uh, saw my last patient, ran up there to UVA and uh, looked under the microscope. And all of the cancer cells that he had treated six hours before were, were going into apoptosis, which is uh, cell suicide. And uh, it's an extraordinary thing to see in our microscope because it's a very peaceful process. Like it's not inflammatory cell death like we see with chemotherapy. It's a very passive, gentle thing where the cells kind of turn into this effervescent bubbles and kind of disappear into the matrix. And um, and so this was happening uh, to this this uh, aggressive bladder cancer that we were uh, it was our initial study. And um, it, it was just I was I was in tears. Like we were, it was so moving to find out that nature would do something like this, that, that the microbiome would give a gift to us like this of like, uh, and what we've found out subsequently, you know, over the years is it doesn't treat cancer. It doesn't treat autoimmune disease. It doesn't do anything. It's actually a totally passive communication network. And so we think it's the first supplement on the market that's purpose is to do nothing. The purpose is to stand between the cells that are trying to communicate and like a cell phone tower, that has never originated a phone call, it's there to get one cell phone to talk to the other cell phone. And in so doing, communication happens, love is communicated, connection is communicated. And in the same way that our cell phone wireless system happens, our cells rely on this wireless light energy network of redox chemistry to connect one another to the information stream. And when that connection happens, if you're a damaged cell, you start to repair, not because the product is repairing you, but because you know you should repair and you know how to repair. And so in an extraordinary fashion over the last seven years in our clinic and now, you know, millions of people around the world have been on the product, but it's, it does such beautiful things because you don't know what it's going to do. And you, it, it helps inspire the cells to do what they want to do, to live their purpose, which is a vibrant a tenacity for regeneration. And we now are working with farmers all over the world um, to do this in their soils and we're, uh, teaching them how to take care of their soils rather than spraying herbicides and pesticides and antibiotics into their soils. We're teaching them how to foster this regenerative quality of communication between the microbiome and their plants. And the resilience that the plants show are just mind-boggling. You know, all these invasive weeds go away within a year, literally weeds that were crippling their farm equipment and no longer could be killed by any spray because they're all drug-resistant, just like our drug-resistant bacteria in hospitals. The same thing is happening in the hospitals, same thing is happening in the farms because we've been in this warfare mentality against cancer, this subtle messaging all the time where the war against breast cancer, the war of cancer, now COVID, well, we're at war with viruses. Viruses aren't even living things. They're just genetic information floating around in, in the air. They are not attacking us at all. They, they are literally trying to upgrade the genome of the planet constantly. It's, over 50% of our genes are from viruses. And so we are absorbing information from nature through the genetic information of viruses. We are absorbing information at the human level from the microbiome on how to get our genome to express its optimal self, to express a regenerative quality. And so this journey into the microbiome and the way in which it communicates, inspires communication across things, has really taught us something profound about the philosophy of humans, which is we are not against nature and nature is not against us. Mm -hmm. There's no way we would have, in our, in our mere 200,000 years of existence as homo sapiens sapiens, there's no way we would have 
developed against nature. We had to develop as a result of nature. We had to develop within nature. The two billion years of the planet's biologic you know, development had to be in line with our, our generation. The generative quality of human genomics has to be the result of, not against, the microbiome, the nutrients of soil, the ways in which bacteria interact to create balance and homeostasis and vitality and adaptability. And adaptability of biology is what the viruses do. Viruses never hurt anything directly. They induce the need for adaptation. And so when you get flu, all of your cells are taking up new information at the genetic level, and you're adapting to a higher state of function. And we know this, that you know, every time you get flu, you actually get resistant to other organisms other than flu. Mm-hmm. your immune response at that global level. We also now know that a fever from something like the flu is one of the most potent ways that your body eliminates precancerous and cancerous cells. And so yeah. is it possible that the update of a genome from a virus is actually medicinal in quality and it updates and gives an opportunity for the body to react in such a way that it mobilizes the immune system to benefit not just uh, you know its balance with other organisms, but also its balance with itself, mm-hmm. and that's really an important step. That is so fantastic. I think this is a great uh, place for us to pause for a minute. So, uh, so we're going to take a short break. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington with guest Dr. Zach Bush, and you're listening to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 11:50 a.m. KKNW. By the moon angel, oh, don't turn away, no, no, don't go back. Next train's coming down the track. Did you know that 70 to 80% of your immune system resides in your gut lining? Ion Gut Health goes beyond probiotics to strengthen this barrier and balance your microbiome the natural way. This soil-derived supplement is scientifically proven to reinforce your first line of defense, keeping harmful foreign particles out of your bloodstream. Maintain a healthy immune system so that it can protect you when you need it most. Support your immune system with Ion Gut Health. Learn more at ionbiome.com. Curious about whales in the Pacific Northwest? Orca Network's Langley Whale Center celebrates and shares the lives of gray whales, orcas, and other marine mammals of the Salish Sea. The Langley Whale Center is a project of Orca Network, a nonprofit that is based on Whidbey Island. The Langley Whale Center gives Orca Network the opportunity to have a public presence to share the excitement about the whales and marine mammals who are our neighbors. The Whale Center in Langley gives visitors and residents alike a chance to learn more about the endangered southern resident orcas who visit our area and about the North Puget Sound gray whales, a small, unique population of gray whales who find sustenance in the waters of Saratoga Passage and Possession Sound each March through May. Check out the Orca Network and Lingley Whale Center on Facebook for the latest whale sightings, educational programs, and events, or visit orcanetwork.org for more information. You'll be glad you did. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. Whatever it takes, we will stand free. We will stay away. Don't go back to sleep. Inside us is a secret.
Welcome back to Lift Your Spirits on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington, your host today. And with me is Dr. Zach Bush. We are talking about the microbiome. We're talking about the war against disease, the war against cancer, the war against infection. And realizing, uh, he, Dr. Bush realized it many years ago, and, and there's a growing movement to realizing that war is not the right solution, that we are more microbe than we are human, I believe you've said. And I and earlier, before we went to break, you said that 50% of our biome is viral? 50% of our genome, yeah. Our genome. Yeah, and well, yeah, it's probably 99% of our you know experience with the biome is through viruses, not bacteria or fungi. So uh, bacteria, there's around 20 to 30,000 species that are important to the human experience. In the parasites, we're at 300,000 species. In the fungi, we're at 5 million species. Viruses should not be categorized as species and really aren't because they actually don't, aren't living beings. They're just genetic information wrapped up in a protein. Uh, they can't reproduce. They can't make energy. They can't produce a protein. Um, they have to be produced by human cells or, or other organisms that they are absorbed by. And so this current experience that we have with this you know, reported pandemic uh, and you know all of these other, you know, annual experiences that we have with flu and everything else, these are just genomic updates to our system. And uh, they can, in a few people that will absorb that genetic information, uh, inspire an immune response that would induce you know, fever and, and all of the symptoms of sickness. But we know that it's not the virus that's causing the fever and the achiness and the fatigue. It's our body's response to the, the, the genomic shift uh, that, that we induce. But that virus embeds itself in our genome and uh, in genomic studies of the human genome, which is actually relatively small, and the human genes that go on to make a protein um, are only 20,000 in number. And so our DNA, while a beautiful uh, matrix and there's a lot of DNA in our bodies, only one and a half percent of that DNA in our body actually codes for a gene that would make a protein. And so the, the human gene at, genome at 20,000 genes is very pathetic compared to where we thought we were going to be. We thought we were going to have 280,000 genes. And because we had already you know, figured out that we had over 280,000 proteins uh, on the human side. And so uh, in the mid-1990s, when we finished decoding the human genome, and at the time we, we thought maybe there was 25,000, but our technology wasn't great at that time, and we had double-counted a lot of the genes. Uh, so now with the most modern technology, we're down to like 19,800 genes or something like that now, which is pathetic because a flea has 30,000 genes. <laughs> a fruit fly has 13,000 genes. So you sit between a fruit fly and a flea, and actually you're a little closer to the fruit fly than you are the flea. And so you are a very, very tiny amount of genetic information, and yet you're so plastic. You can produce such diverse, uh, you know, response to nature. You, you can adapt so easily as a human biology. And those 20,000 genes can express 280,000 different proteins. It's as if, you know, one uh, blueprint for a house could somehow, you know, plan for 280 or, or 300 different houses. And so somehow these, these genes we realized in the late 90s were, were doing something bizarre, which they were able to make many different products out of the same strand of information. And that has now, over the last 20 years, turned out to, to birth a couple new fields of study, including epigenetics, which is a study on how the microbes and the, the hormones in your environment, all these different things can, can change the way in which a gene expresses itself. And the mechanisms by which I won't go into, but they're really cool. It's, there's all these ways in which the enzymes that make a protein out of your genes can like skip areas and bring areas that seemingly are far apart near to each other through looping the DNA and all kinds of cool stuff. So in this very eloquent fashion, like this ballet unfolding at the genetic level, 
each gene becomes this you know dance in nature, and the gene is throwing out all these different proteins to become who you are today. The excitement that I have is that any one of my patients walking in with any con chronic condition that they feel, chronic fatigue, you know, poor sex drive, major depression, anxiety disorders, cancer, autoimmune disease, doesn't matter, they are expressing a body that is very temporary. Every three days you have a brand new gut lining. You have billions of cells that have completely covered two tennis courts in surface area, completely brand new every three days. Every, three every days. cell in your body is turning over very rapidly. The brain's the slowest and it's still new every seven years. So if you are not seeing a regenerative, youthful body, it means that your, your genome is learning and, and is stuck in a rut, a pattern of, of decay, a pattern of dis, disconnection, a pattern of miscommunication. And so that's why we can see the aging process kick in, despite the fact that our body is new every you know, few days to few years. And so without that rebirth process, we would die very quickly. But unfortunately, we're re rebirthing in the same decaying environment. And so it's a really cool thing for a patient to realize they could make 4 million other bodies than they have today if they change their environment drastically, even subtly. And so for my patients, you know, thinking about how do I protect myself in a pandemic like this, you simply need to change your environment and align it with nature. We now know, you know, and should, we knew this before, with, this is not the first coronavirus that's killed people around the world, and it's not killing you know, very many people compared to our, our annual respiratory diseases and everything else. But nonetheless, the, people have died many times from coronavirus, and the reason why have almost nothing to do with the presence of the virus. It has to do with the environment that that person is when the virus shows up. Remember, the virus isn't attacking anything. It's literally absorbed by and produced by the human body. And so it's not responsible for any of the deaths we're seeing. What's happening is it's unmasking vulnerability to the environment. And so the number one leading uh, marker for death from COVID now is air pollution, specifically air pollution at a smaller uh, particle size than 2.5 nanometers. Every single micron of uh, that pollution per cubic meter of air you breathe 20-fold increases your risk of death from COVID. That is a much larger risk factor than getting the virus itself and death. And so what's happening is we're unmasking vulnerabilities. And right now, the two biggest ones are, number one, air pollution, number two, age, and number three, vascular dysfunction. That's typical of diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, and chronic kidney disease. And the reason it looks like those populations are particularly prone to dying from it is we always put them on a pharmaceutical called an ACE inhibitor or an ARB, an angiotensin receptor blocker. And ACE inhibitors and ARBs, which are common drugs that literally are frontline for every diabetic, you're supposed to have them on lisinopril or some you know, similar drug. We now know that those drugs upregulate the ACE2 receptor, which is what pulls the virus in for more proliferation. And so these drugs and the air pollution are what's leading to an unbalanced response to this virus, and we're, we're creating death, not by the, from the virus, but from the environment we're creating uh, that's artificial, pulling the pa patient away from nature, pulling the patient away from their homeostasis and balance with the ecosystem, then we blame the virus. When in fact, it's our own behavior that's put us at odds with or in an imbalance with something like a flu strain or whatnot. The other thing that's tracking very high with risk, which is interesting, is flu vaccine. So if you, and we've known this for years, this got proven uh, with MERS, which was the last coronavirus, that when you treat, uh, when you immunize somebody with for flu, if they're then exposed to corona, their chance of dying from coronavirus is much higher. And so uh, they've now shown that what's happening is that if you get flu, you actually suppress your risk of getting 
not just corona, but many other, you know, adenovirus and other viruses that are common every year. And so by this, you know, focus on, oh, we just need to block influenza. Well, no, what's happened, influenza, a natural part of the ecosystem. It has been for thousands of years, and it has an adaptive quality. It's helping us adapt to microbes in the environment. And if we allow the immune system to respond to flu, then we become very resistant to disease from other pathogens. And so it's these divorces from the microbiome that make us vulnerable to death, not the microbiome itself. So would you say that um, if flu is circulating um, and somebody is exposed to it and comes down with no symptoms, that their immune system was not in need of that experience of, of being reset? And if you have a very severe disease, that means that that person was so out of, you know, out of balance with the environment that they weren't able to um, benefit from the experience. They begin to um, go into a crisis mode. Is that sort of? Yeah. And interestingly, I think that's well said. And interestingly, those of us that are exposed to viruses and don't necessarily get a fever, like most COVID patients, most people exposed to COVID have had very mild symptoms or no symptoms at all. And then there's a portion that will get sick. Everybody's getting the genetic update that's exposed to that thing, which I find fascinating because there's a new protein in COVID that we haven't seen with the other coronaviruses of MERS and uh, SARS, for example. And so we have a new protein that we're being updated with. And if you look at, you know, I'm putting out a two-hour webinar in the next week or two. It'll be out in a couple weeks, I guess, after editing and everything else. But a two-hour expose on what is a virus, what is the virome, because it's much different than the microbiome. What is the virome? What is happening with this? And one of the slides that I've been detailing is uh, right from the CDC, showing that we've had a drop in death from all respiratory causes as soon as COVID showed up. And so COVID somehow has been protecting total death from respiratory diseases. We keep telling these stories of the few patients, and it is a very, very few patients on planet Earth that are dying from COVID right now. Mm -hmm. But they're getting so much marketing attention from our media that you would think this is like the leading cause of death in the world right now. When in fact, you know, we've only lost 200,000 patients to respiratory, you know, death that had COVID in their bloodstream. Again, COVID doesn't cause respiratory death. COVID actually causes uh, hypoxia, which is not respiratory death. It just is a decreased oxygen level, but it doesn't kill you there. What tends to happen is we then respond by putting them in a hospital and putting them on a respiratory rater, which can't fix hypoxia. It fixes respiratory failure, and then they get pneumonia from the respirator. And so we're treating this thing kind of backwards. But nonetheless, as we get into, you know, a deeper and deeper understanding of our relationship to this virus, we realize it's getting some sort of protective thing into the environment is what it looks like. And uh, I'm very intrigued to see where we tease this thing out. Once we figure out what this new protein is, I, I'm not going to be surprised if it has a really cool anti-inflammatory effect. 200,000 people, even if they were dying from COVID, pales in comparison to the 1.8 million that are dying right now from lung cancer. And so when you look at lung pathology today, it's, you know, six to one, you know, nine to one uh, lung cancer versus, you know, COVID and other respiratory diseases. So uh, we really need to come to terms with the fact that we're, we're getting a huge marketing campaign to a virus when in fact, the virus is simply uncovering a severe imbalance in our ecosystem, which begins at the soil level. That's why the viruses are occurring is because we're stressing the soil system of Hubei province. We should go into that a little bit as, you know, the relationship between human virus experience and where does that come from in the environment, in the microbiome stress. Um, but nonetheless, you know, as we look around the globe right now, northern Italy, highest pollution levels in all of Europe. That's why we had such high mortality there. 
why does Germany have such low death from, well, it's because their air is cleaner because they've taken such aggressive measures in their cities to reduce air pollution over the last few years. And so in their pro progressive state, well, where's the most toxic air in China? It's Hubei province and north into Beijing. And then if you overlap that with the, the soil conditions in China, Hubei province is the epicenter of soil toxicity and air toxicity. And that's where the virus, of course, is going to present itself. And then we're going to see it ex expand across the planet, not spreading from human to human as the CDC wants us to, to understand. It actually spreads through the air. There's two ways viruses spread. One is through liquid droplets from our respiratory secretions, which can only go about three feet. The other is aerosolized, which means it's not in a, a droplet of, of liquid. It's actually traveling in the air itself, and it goes airborne. And those can travel miles and can, can uh, stay alive for many uh, many days, and that's how the virus is really spread around the planet. It's not because one airplane flew here and then went there. And we're always given these maps of like how the virus spread. There's no way that there's enough airplanes to spread a virus globally as fast as we see viruses spread every single year. Viruses spread in the most predictable fashion globally every year, and it's not because of airplane travel. It it follows the air currents around the planet because of aerosolized genetic information that we call viruses. So it, it's very exciting to realize the globe has an immune system. There is no human immune system. There is no organ like the liver or the kidneys that is our immune system. Our immune system is a continuation of the ecosystem of the planet. That is fantastic. Um, we're going to take a short break right now. When I come back, though, Dr. Zach, I, I want you to empower people with tools and actually tell them practical steps they can take to begin this journey of creating their own um, healthy immunity and becoming more symbiotic with the environment around themselves. Um, so I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington with guest Dr. Zach Bush, and you're listening to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Go back to sleep. The door is round and open, and the river's Did you know how your immune system protects you from illness? Wish you knew more about what lifestyle choices you could make to keep your immune system strong? What healing approaches might work best for you? Well, tune in on the first Friday of each month when the host of Lift Your Spirits Radio will be Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington. Bernadette will be joined by medical and science experts to discuss healthy immunity and how you and your family can achieve it. You can reach Bernadette Pager at informedchoicewa.org. Lift your spirits with us every Friday at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on 1150 a.m. KKNW Seattle. We will be introducing you to fascinating people, fun places to visit, and activities are guaranteed to lift your spirits. Miss a show? No worries. You can visit 1150kknw.com and click on our archive page or like Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie on Facebook for upcoming guests and events. To contact me, Dina Marie, visit dina-marie.com. Thank you so much for listening. Self-help, healing, spirituality, and more on Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Lift Your Spirits on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington, your host today, and with me is Dr. Zach Bush. And in this final segment, Dr. Zach, I would love you to empower our listeners um, with some simple steps they can do to begin 
turning themselves and the environment around them into this healthy immunity environment. And I do want you to talk about how um, Ion Biome product can be part of that journey uh, to wellness. Yeah, so the, the excitement that we have around, you know, the, those last 10 years of science around the virome and how viruses uh, coexist to move genetic information between species and between the soil and species. Um, the exciting thing is it's always in, in the uh, intention of supporting life and it's an adaptation. So the viruses are the way in which nature adapts quickly. And, uh, and so the way in which we can develop immediate immunity and safety away from this virus is to get uh, in touch with as much microbiome as possible. And it's very easy to do, is to step out into nature. Every liter of seawater has 10 to the 15 viruses in it. 10 to the 15 is one with 15 zeros after it. Every liter of ocean water. The ocean as a whole has 10 to the 31 viruses in it, which is 10, or 10 million times more than our stars in the entire universe. That's just the ocean water. In the air we breathe, there's another 10 to the 31 viruses, 10 million times more than stars in the universe. In the soil, there's another 10 to the 30 viruses. And so you start to realize that we are so surrounded by this genetic information, unless we live in a drywall box that has forced air, that has a very narrow microbiome that can only survive in this weird dehydrated state of, of air ducts, and then we get into a car that's off-gassing toxic plastics, and then we get into an office, in a carpeted cubicle that off-gasses all day long under forced air with windows that don't open, and then you get a little bit sick, so you go to your doctor's office that's full of weird microbiome, and then you get hospitalized, and now you're in almost no microbiome, and you're dying from isolation from nature. That's currently what's happening with COVID, is as soon as we saw this you know, potential new virus and it got a bunch of press, we all isolated, which is exactly the wrong direction to go. Uh, we know even if you look beyond biology to physics, the second law of thermodynamics, which is the most proven, most true statement in all of science, is that any system left in isolation increases its degree of chaos or entropy. And so we know at the physical tissue fabric level of nature, of biology itself, which is atomic in structure, if we isolate a human being, its, it's entropy, its chaos is going to increase. And we're going to see that in many different disease processes over the next months ahead is we're going to see increase in cancer, autoimmune disease, all this other stuff. And I don't think our public health efforts are going to be, you know, appropriately directed to even see that because they're going to be so focused on is COVID there or not or anything else. Our respiratory deaths, again, I want to repeat from the CDC's own information, have gone down, not up over the last four months. Mm -hmm. And so our respiratory death on the planet is improving with our update from this virus. A few people are dying with this blood in their bloodstream. But again, it's not the virus, it's their vulnerability that's being uh, you know, exposed by this virus, vulnerability to air pollution, their, the, the pharmaceutical drugs they're on, uh, age and vascular dysfunction from chronic lifestyle changes that have, have diseased their body. So this uh, you know, paradigm, it's too late for this virus. We did absolutely the wrong thing. My hope is that we learn enough from this experience to say, the viruses are not against us. They have to be for us. They're too ubiquitous in our nature to think that we're at all separated from them. A mask does not separate you from viruses. Viruses absorb through your eyes, through your skin, through your ears, through your scalp, like anything. And the worst thing that we could do is put a plastic mesh on our face that then you know gives us nanoparticles of plastic into our lungs that dissolve. And we know that polypropylene, which is in the medical mask, 
when it hits the lung lining in nanoplastics, actually dissolves the, the protective effect of that lung to organisms. And so I have very high concerns, and there's really nice data coming out of New York now that we're actually increasing mortality when patients are going to the hospital with this condition. And it's no wonder because we're, we're treating them as if, you know, there's some sort of plague going on. We're treating them as if they have something like Ebola, which is, you know, super... Uh, ubiquitous in the environment, meaning it can be absorbed by people very quickly around that patient. In South Korea, the data coming out of the hospitals there is that after that, all of that action in South Korea, there was not one case of hospital-acquired COVID. And so we're not seeing anything like Ebola here. We're not, and yet these patients are being treated like they have this, you know, fatal, highly contagious, you know, process going on. And in that, we're isolating them in plastic. We're taking them away from nature. We're putting them under more and more plastic pressure, and that's dissolving their their natural defenses as those nanoplastics get into their lungs and everything else, not to mention you've got them in an environment with invasive things. So we've done this as a medical field, and I'm not at all damning my colleagues. My colleagues are stuck in a paradigm, just as I have been, which is we uh, the tools we're given are adverse to nature. They are against nature. We have been literally given a massive war chest to kill nature. And ironically, over the last few years of working with farmers, they've got the same scenario where they now no longer like their grandparents waking up deciding what to grow, they wake up deciding what they have to kill today. And they mix more and more toxic messes to go spray on their crops every day. And you know they, they literally have to dress in hazmat suits to mix the chemicals that they're gonna go spray on our food. What is the alchemy? What is the magic <laughs> yeah. that happens to convert that toxic mess into some sort of nutrient source on our food? And so whether it's our well-meaning farmers, and I love our farmers, they are the most heartfelt, centered, hardest working people I've ever met, and they want to do the real thing. And yet the toolbox they've been given puts them at such odds with their nature that they are failing and their farms are failing. We're losing 8,000 farms a year. We're losing thousands of patients to COVID because on both the agriculture front and the health front, we have put ourselves at war with the nature that we depend on. Exactly. I, I just love that. And what I see here in this COVID chaos is this awakening of people to this because they feel they keep being told by the federal government there's no cure and there's no vaccine. And believe me, there's not going to be um, a successful vaccine. Well, we're not going to talk about that today. We'll do that on another show. Um, but as they look around and they realize the only thing that is going to help them is be by becoming healthier and by addressing their own immune system and um, the toxins that are harming their immune system. And, and there are doctors around the country who are bringing into hospitals IV vitamin C and D and zinc and all these wonderful nutrients because they say, well, we don't have a drug, so we know the, all we can do is support their immune system. And I'm really hoping that when they get through all this, they realize, well, really, this was the best way to go, and maybe somebody else coming in with something else. I need to support their immune system. So to me, that should be the the go-to first thing on the shelf you grab is supporting that person's immune system rather than the drug that suppresses their immune system, right? I just think it's, it's so many silver linings here. Um, and the education curve toward um, your vision of where we, we should head, and so many of us live in this world, um, that I think it's, it's really fantastic. So uh, the Ion Biome product, how do, how does, how will that help? And I have a coupon code here. I want to make sure I give that to people who want to try this product. When you begin this journey of trying to heal and you get some, some of this product, how do people use it and how does it help? Yeah, so uh, we started with the gut health uh, product, which is a liquid supplement that you take with your meals. 
Uh, you can start with anything from a few drops if you have a super sensitive, you know, gut or immune system, or you know, especially if you've been on chronic antibiotics, or or if you have autism or one of these conditions that has really severe dysbiosis. Also, if you've been on chronic probiotics, probiotics really damage our, our the ecosystem of our gut. So if you've been chronically suppressing the biodiversity of your gut, then you can start really slow, and, and that way it's super cheap. But a few, few drops of the liquid um, in water or just under the tongue, um, and then absorb that, and then increase to a teaspoon up to as much as you know, a tablespoon or two a few times a day. And that has a very immediate impact on the cell-cell communication phenomenon. And the exciting thing is it, it reinforces itself. So as soon as you're, this touches any element of your microbiome, your microbiome starts producing more of its signal. And so it has this amplification effect in the gut. And so we don't have to cover your entire intestinal lining with this stuff. We can simply give a small message at the top, and then it's amplified throughout the gut. And so in those uh, first few minutes from the first experience, we've shown that even in three to five minutes, you can show that the gut lining is responding with this huge upregulation of tight junctions, which is the Velcro between your gut lining uh, and, and your uh, lymphatic tissue of the gut that we call, you know, the beginning of your immune system. And so uh, that lymphatic protection, the protection of your immune system from the outside world is supported not by the it is caused not by the, the, the product itself, but it's caused by the body's response to the product, which is make more tight junctions. And so the Velcro comes up, and now you have a healthy boundary between the outside world and your body. Uh, within you know a couple years of working with that, we realized we also could start at the sinuses. So there's also a sinus spray product that you can use uh, that has uh, almost you know, an immediately recognizable effect. Um, and so we often recommend starting them in concert because the postnasal drainage coming from your sinuses at night is the beginning of your gut microflora. Mm -hmm. If you leave your sinuses leaky and reactive to your environment and pollen and everything else, and you're trying to fix your gut, you're going to have a slower response. So sinuses and gut is where we begin with the product line. That is fantastic. I wish we had another hour, Dr. Zach, but I'm going to have to leave things here. Um, I'm going to tell um, listeners they can go to ionbiome, that's I-O-N-B-I-O-M-E dot com, um, to look, check out these products and try them out for yourself. You can get a 15% off your entire order um, by entering code D as in dog, A-G-A-D. U-Z, and that will be on the Informed Choice Washington website, too. Just click on the, the place where you can go look up the radio st station um, there on our website, informedchoicewa.org, and you can find that coupon again. So, Dr. Zach, thank you for your time, for your expertise, for your passion. Uh, we're so grateful to you um, and so ha happy to be spreading the word with you about how we can create a healthy immunity environment. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington. Thank you, everybody, today for tuning in. Make it a healthy day. Give me back tomorrow for taking all that I can stand. Throw the weight of the world from the palm of your hand. Gather round the fire, together we will rise. Keep your feet on the ground, keep your eye on the prize. Oh, don't turn away, no, don't go back. Next train's coming down the track.
place in the world Throw your dreams into the sky Be my beloved and I'll be your most high We'll stay up all night and we'll howl out a tune Getting chased by the moon angel Stay.